Some call it insight. Others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective. A perspective you'll benefit from, from a custodian you can rely on. One who can help navigate the big picture and whose products give you a competitive edge. One who considers everything. What will help you succeed today and tomorrow? Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash go independent. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. What's going on, guys? Rich Butler here. Thanks for hitting that download button and downloading episode five of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. My guest for this episode is Jose Betancourt, also known as JVB. He is not only a friend of the RageWorks Network, but also a colleague of mine when it comes to action figure reviews and coverage on the site, and we wanted to include him as our next featured RageWorks creator. Uh, Slick was the first person who actually requested JVB be next, and he was kind enough to take time out of his day and share some of the gear that he uses. Uh, JVB, in addition to being a podcaster, a gamer, uh, action figure, and model collector, is also a very, very accomplished photographer. Even though he is extremely modest about his skills, JVB has an amazing eye when it comes to photography, and he is going to share some of that gear with you guys, as well as some podcasting stuff and a little bit of toy talk as well. Without any further ado, let's turn it over to JVB and learn about the toys and tech of his trade. All right, my friend Jose Betancourt, a.k.a. JVB, joins us on this new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. JVB is a man of many talents uh, he has number one, a stellar, stellar singing voice. <laughs> oh. uh, in addition to that, he's a, a YouTuber, a photographer, and one of the pioneers in podcasting. You know, he's one of those unsung heroes that goes and has been generating content in the space since the early, early 2000s. Uh, JVB, oh. thanks for taking the time. Thank you, man, for such a great introduction. <laughs> so, I mean,. You know, one of the one of the first things I want to get into you, you know, you're you're a podcasting pioneer, something that, you know, you do not advertise a lot, which is amazing, you know, because a lot of a lot of the guys that have been in this game for a long time, they pretty much want to rip open their shirt and go, I've been podcasting 20 <laughs> years. Look at me. But you've been you've been in the trenches, man, doing talking about games. You've been uh, very, very yeah, deep in the gaming industry. So I want to start with that. And, you know, what got you into podcasting as a medium? Well, I happened to run into it accidentally on a website, on a video game website. And they were talking about Halo. And they introduced a podcast called Potacular, and which I, I eventually became co-host of. And the host, Fumo Jive, was talking about how Halo was the main focus of this podcast. And at the time, I was a huge Halo fan. Still is, or I still am. And so I was like, I got to somehow find this podcast. I went to the website. At the time, iTunes was becoming 
more uh, or easier, giving us easier access to find podcasts. So I managed to constantly go to the website and then eventually subscribe on iTunes. And from there, I got wind of uh, not GamerCast Network, but there was a podcast that started with GamerCast Network or started the GamerCast Network, which is similar to your network. And a gentleman by the name of Chris Palladino and his brother and a few other guys got together every week and spoke about video games. So it felt a lot like when you and I were growing up and we would hang out with our friends, playing Tecmo Bowl, Gen- Sega Genesis, talking trash about you know Mortal Kombat or Madden or Tecmo Bowl, and just spending the entire night talking about video games or arguing about video games, you know, either or. Of course. And I, I remember saying, wow, I would love to do that. That is as close to getting back to my old days of arguing with my friends in front of the building or wherever. And I would love to get into that. And eventually I, I wind up doing my first podcast with Potacular. And from there, it was uh, a natural uh, marriage or happy marriage. Nice. And um, from there, you know, talk, give, give us uh, the origin story or the issue one of talking about games and how that came into in, in, into fruition. Yeah, talking about games was a collaboration between me and some other podcasters, uh, the Achievement Junkie, Nelson and Natalie Rodriguez. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yep. Uh, Jay, who used to be part of Uncle Gamer, uh, Paris, who's now part of Game Attack Radio. And we got together because we were familiar with the gaming community we were podcasters, and we figured that we'd combine our communities, our knowledge, because each of us had a different skill set that would benefit uh, the the website as a whole. So I was more of the community guy, and we created this really, really good community. It had uh, active forums at the time. We had a lot of content coming in, a lot of review material, and because we had a lot of contacts within the industry, it took off for a little bit. But uh, as we all know, maintaining a video game website, it's a lot of work. So Mm -hmm. uh, most everyone eventually got video game industry jobs. Wow. And Jay is still working within the industry. So is Nelson and Natalie. I had a a short run in the gaming industry. So it really benefited. And uh, that is partly why the website is no longer running. But uh, yeah, for... Say a good five years. I had a nice little run. Okay. Now, back when you started, how were what gear were you using to 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 do create podcasts back in back in the early two thousands? Because for me, it was a USB <laughs> headset and you know Audacity and just hoping for the yep. best. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I had Audacity, and I had a when Radio Shack was still around. I bought a, a thirty dollar headset. It was a, a headphone that came with a microphone attached. And I remember I couldn't really adjust my sound, <laughs> so I had to be very careful with the P's that they didn't pop. Yep. And then when we were done recording, everybody would send their own individual audio, and I believe it was um, com at the time. Oh, man. Yeah, we would upload it there, and Fumo Jive would grab the audio, try to sync everyone. I give him a lot of credit, because at times, we did three shows a week. Wow. So... Well, we would do enough content for three shows a week. So he would split it. So imagine splitting audio for three different shows. 
So he put in a lot of work and at the website, which at the time you could imagine was a chore in itself. So yeah, it was a, a flimsy little Radio Shack headset with audacity. Uh, and you know, obviously, since then you've you've been upgrading. Now, what you know, what was the last? I know you're a big supporter of blue microphones. I believe yeah, you were. Yeah. <laughs> you you still do a lot of your voice work with uh, the Spark, right? The Blue Spark. Yes, blue, the Blue Spark Pearl. And uh, even though the microphone is called blue, the manufacturer, the microphone, the microphone itself is orange. And it's funny because I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, Oh, what's his name? I can't believe it. he's a very, oh, I can't believe I forgot his name. Uh, it's like his name is in the tip of my tongue. Uh, Marquise Browning. Oh, yeah. Uh, MKBHD. He had this microphone. Yes, MKHD. And he had this microphone. I remember watching him talk about something and I saw the microphone. So I looked for the review if he had a review for it. And lo and behold, he's reviewing it. And I'm like, wow, that sounds really good. I got to look for this. And I went to, uh, Sam Ash, I believe, in Queens and bought it for 150 at the time, which was maybe about seven years ago. Wow. And uh, that's what I'm using right now. So and you've always. Yeah. And, you know, you've also you've been even going back then. Were you always a a Mac guy also? Because JVB, for those of you that don't know, you know, he uses a lot of Mac, a lot of uh, Apple products. Um, Were you were you a big Mac guy back then, too? No, back then I had a nice little. Um, what's the company that went out of business with the cow, uh, gateway? Yes. I had a gateway for many years. Wow. (laughs) I had a gateway. Uh, and you know what? At the time, because it, it is crazy to think that at the time I did not care about specs, even though I used to play some PC games, basic, you know, Quake, Quake 2, everything like that. The only specs I cared about was like the latest 3D accelerator, which was from Voodoo at the time. That was like my only upgrade. But as far as everything else, I didn't care, you know, what type of processing speed I had. So I, it seemed normal that, you know, it took a while for my audio to upload, things of that sort. I really didn't care because it was, it was, everything was so new. But now, yes, I, I use an iMac. I even upgraded to a 27 inch 5K iMac. And I do a lot of my, well, I used to do a lot of my YouTube editing on my iPad Pro, which handles it with ease. I mean, it's just amazing how these small devices are so powerful and and capable of doing 4K video editing. Were you editing audio on on GarageBand when you made the switch to the Mac? Yes. Yes. Uh, Believe it or not, I was using Audacity up, up until 2007. And one day when I was uh, living, uh, well, not one day, while living in Florida, we used to do the whole SFX 360. Uh, You know, we used to do events, podcasts, YouTube, everything like that. So one day, Julie was editing, and they used to use Mac before, way before I even could afford one. Right. And I saw her editing and, and like, working on the audio, and it was so... The light went off, huh? Swift. (laughs) Yeah, it was swift and easy, and I'm like, wow, you're doing that pretty quick. And she goes, oh, I love Max. I'm never going back. So that's when, when the time came, and this was 2010, when I could afford one, I went with an iMac, and uh, haven't looked back. Uh, I haven't looked back. Even though now, in today's time, you can 
use Audacity still around and it's still very capable because, believe it or not, I was talking about Marquise Brownie. He still uses, well, at least up till a few years ago, he was still using Audacity for his audio. And, you know, his audio is on point. Yeah, I used, you know, it's funny. I used Audacity full time for editing almost everything on the network fully till about last year. Okay. Um, and even now, oddly enough, my process is a little different because I run everything through Alphonic to level it. But Audacity does something that I still have yet to see a more premium program do. And they have a thing which is truncate silence to remove, you know, those yes. long pauses. Yep. <laughs> dude, I love that, man. <laughs> dude, I have yet, you know, like I'm using Hindenburg Journalist, you know, it's a 300 and something dollar app, you know, a three mm-hmm. program. But Audacity's free. <laughs> yeah, but and and dude, not even Hindenburg has it. And, and you know, now wow. I'm using Adobe uh, Creative Suite for a lot of the video stuff. And even that, man, like there's nothing that's just as easy as that. And don't get me wrong. It's not a one stop shot. But in those times when there's those little awkward pauses, man, oh, audacity yeah. Yeah. Woo, just runs right through. Oh, it. yes, a- absolutely. Because I, I, I'm very guilty of doing these pauses when I'm talking and I'll pause and I, I do it somewhat instead of saying, um, or, you yep. know, I'll try to make it a little more dramatic by pausing and thinking of something as I'm paused. So I'm kind of guilty of that. So that used to help me a lot. And also Levelator, which is another free software yep. that you can use with Audacity. So you had every all the tools right there. And throughout the years, podcasting became easier and easier and easier. And uh, here we are now with a overabundance of different types of podcasts. Well, the, you know, strangely enough, also, you you gradually transitioned over the course of our friendship. You transitioned from doing podcasting. Then you jumped into YouTube and you've been doing YouTube quite a bit. Um, you know, yeah. why why the sudden shift change? What what pushed you to even want to explore that, especially someone, you know, you're busy you're a family man. You know, you have a real job, you know, like most of us. Well, uh, you and I were talking off air briefly, and it's all about with me, I get bored really quick. And if I'm not doing something that challenges me, challenges my attention, uh, my creativity, I get really frustrated. So doing YouTube, I started dabbling in it here and there. I did a video with my son and, and, uh, it wound up being like a little mini blooper cause he was like singing about Spider-Man and he's like maybe four or five years old and he almost falls off my lap. And the way it looked, he disappeared from the video and it looked like he fell and I'm like laughing. So I started experimenting a little more and more. Uh, My very first E3 video, it was very boring. Like I looked at it and I'm like, wow, nobody's going to look at this. I'm just sitting there talking, looking into the video camera and, and, you know, I had the little webcam and I'm like very mellow and and bored. Like I bored myself watching it. So... (laughs) I was like, I, I don't think I'm ready for YouTube yet. But it wasn't until doing more events with SFX360 and getting a little more familiar with uh, more upgraded technology <laughs> and then getting into cameras where I can actually record myself. Uh, it wasn't maybe until 2011, maybe 2012, where I seriously got into YouTube. So I can, uh, I eventually opened an account. One of my biggest and earliest videos was talking about the Vita, and to this day it has like 400,000 views and hundreds and hundreds of comments, but a lot of those comments are that I either sound like Obama (laughs) or 
Um, uh, I get a few Christopher Walkins and, uh, you know, a few actors. So it's like nonsense or people talking to them, you know, like, Hey, that's not a hidden feature, you know, things. Oh, yeah. It's YouTube. So, you know, exactly. you're going to get the troll patrol. <laughs> yeah. So lately I haven't been able to, and it's not because of anything specific that I'm busy. It's just mentally, I haven't been able to uh, concentrate much on YouTube because, uh, we were talking earlier, and I, I, I hate to be. And one of my co-hosts one time told me, he goes, uh, "JBB, you got to always be different. You, you can't." You, and and he's correct. If I see a trend, I just totally go away from it, and I'd rather not do something than be part of a trend that I, I personally don't like. And what I see in YouTube a lot, especially from tech reviewers, is and photography, which I do as well. Uh, for example, the photography vlogs, I don't know how many of them you watch, but I'll, it always seems like they got to start off with doing a B roll at 125 frames a second. They slow yep. it down or whatever. Yep. And then they, they show the <laughs> coffee. There's always got to be coffee. There's always got to be these, this fancy techno music. Why do I feel you're talking about Peter McKinnon? <laughs> well, he's one of them, but he's actually one of the guys that does it really good. Yeah. He, man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very talented. But Absolutely. yeah, it's like everybody, and this is what I'm talking about, trends. They see that, and there's all of a sudden you see a million other Peter McKinnons yep. wannabe. And it's like, and then, you know, the, hey, what's up? You know, that's his thing. Or not necessarily his thing, but that's his niche. Yeah, he jumps hey, in. Hey, what's up? And, yep. you know, all of a sudden you're hearing people starting off their conversation very enthusiastic. And, and, and it's like, I see that, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so turned off. I'd rather stick to the original. Same thing with uh, MKHD. He's like one of the few reviewers that throughout the years has maintained a consistency of of feeling that he's talking to you in a regular tone of voice. Like yep. that's I feel like that's how he would talk to you if you saw him in the street. And there's very few tech reviewers that actually do that or give me that feeling. So I stick with those. And and because I feel like man, if I if I start talking a certain way, I, I never do B roll. I never do. I don't know. It's just stuff that I I get really finicky with. I never do. You know, like the side, uh, what they call that. The um, when when you're you're reviewing an item and they're like uh, shifting the camera to the side. Oh, doing know, like I a slider, what, like a slider shot, yes, like doing yeah, all the- yeah, yeah, in slow mo, and it's like or the quick cuts where they're talking and then you see them jumping like from position to position to cut their conversation. That's the, that's uh, the uh, Casey Neistat. Yes. <laughs> that's the Casey Neistat move. You know, it's funny. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and you know, as we're talking about this, you know, I've, I took a, not a break from, from YouTube, but just, I've been just not as aggressively putting out stuff and I want to step it up now, obviously. Yeah. But me too. the, the thing about it is, you know, you watch all these people like I watch, you know, MKBHD, Peter McKinnon, Casey Neistat, um, Jason mm-hmm. Vong, um, I Justine, oddly enough, she does really good videos. Um, yeah, she's gotten a whole lot better, man. Yeah. Uh, she's a little too fam girlish, but yep. she's she's gotten really good. And uh, credit with credits too. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Dietschy. And, you know, I watch them and it's interesting, you know, as we're we're talking about that. That each one has, you know, um, using a My Hero Academia line, each of them have a quirk, you know, mm-hmm. like like you look yeah. at each of them and you see that there's 
like like I Justine, like I've always noticed her videos. Like I don't know what she does. I don't know if it's just how she looks as a person, but it's like, yo, how's your skin that smooth? Like that's impossible. <laughs> Nobody's skin is that buttery smooth. It's I impossible. Know, right? <laughs> and, and then you know mkbhd i Without like it a be- lot of makeup you know yeah and mkbhd he has a little bit more of a chaotic like you know mm-hmm. it's kind of just a dude sitting in his living room uh peter mckinnon though he like we were talking about that before and he's just real pretty he's like yo mm-hmm. i'm gonna zoom into this coffee real slow and yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Blah. and you know you <laughs> see a lot of these guys and it's crazy because to go back to what you were saying about being different it's tough because it's something where you know, when I was doing the gaming podcast and I was doing the wrestling one, people were like, oh, what wrestling podcast do you listen to? And I was like, none. And they were like, yeah. what? How do you not listen to any? And I'm like, I'll tell you why. Because what happens is, even if it's unintentional, it's like when you're around somebody and you pick up one of their catchphrases yeah. or you yeah. pick up one of their tics or their mannerisms. And, and it's like, I don't want to yep. do that. And that's the problem with, with uh, to your point, you know, just that with YouTube, because you watch so many just to find inspiration, get ideas. There's another guy, uh, Roberto Blake is another one. And I remember I was doing a video and I'm like, hey, Rich here for Rageworks. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's hey, man, Roberto Blake. And I'm like, I'm like, damn it. You know, so so I definitely know it, it, it totally makes sense, man, because it, tough process. You've been around just as long as I have. With, yep. With, within video games and podcasting and creating media. And sometimes even with podcasts, you, you start out of familiarity. You, you, and especially back then, because we all used to listen to each other's podcasts. Yep. 100 time just to su- back then it was mainly to support each other yep and then use it as a way to maybe do a cross podcast and 100%. kind of debate about something and you know so on and so on and and uh, unfortunately out of habit you, you start picking up little quirks but now it's like purpose it's done on purpose i'm even so anal about certain things i pick up the weirdest things i don't Watching, and I know we're bringing up Marquise Browning a lot, but he's one of the you know the innovators absolutely in, in the in the game. I mean, he's, he's definitely one of my a, top ten that I actually watch when his video when his video drops. It's legit. Oh, like, he's like notification. Let me peep it. You know, like like yes, hit that play button immediately. Goes to him. Yep. So, you know, same thing with Casey Nasdaq. But you know, Marquise started at the age of fourteen reviewing his laptop, brand new laptop that he bought, and he started as a little kid, just decided to review. A laptop that he bought and here he is yep. so there's something that he does with his eyes. i don't know if you ever noticed he'll like he'll like look at something on the side and he, i see so many people doing that shit oh sorry for cursing it's all right and it annoys me and i'm like why are people doing that they kind of not only trying to like move like marquise they kind of mimicking his eye movement too <laughs> and it's like i can't watch this anymore. Yep. so i get real finicky about it and that's just a me thing it's just things that I notice. I, you know, I'm very observant, and it'll tick me off. You know, to the point where I unsubscribe. And and, and look, a lot of people, especially nowadays, and we were speaking about this, making uh, content creation a career, uh, so much so that we can live off it. Right. And it's very difficult. And a friend of mine, he runs board at work. I don't know if you ever watched him. Oh, um, what's his name? Yeah, big. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you're talking about. I, I e. don't want to. E. Yeah, yeah, Biggie. So, you know, I've, yeah, you know him because you know D, you know Danny, and yep. she hang, she's really close friends with him. And he decided, he and I were talking last Comic Con, and he was like, "Yeah, I decided I'm going to make YouTube a career." 
And I see him hustling a lot. And he's one of those guys that still manages to keep very personable. What you see is what you get when you speak to him. So I know for a fact that's genuinely who he is. Yep. And he creates characters. He has like the, like yes. the Colonel. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, he's definitely, <laughs> and you know, I like his, uh, his wall of headphones. Like there's yes. definitely little yep. things that, that definitely make, make him stick out. And I think that yes. that's one of the, the toughest parts, you know, especially yes, absolutely with you, you know, like when you were doing your, your YouTube videos consistently, you know, you were talking about toys, you were talking about gear and you were doing it in such a manner that you were recording it. And, and this is the funny thing. You were recording it, not so much for the people, but for yourself. Yeah. And that's what yeah. happens. Sometimes people are so hung up on oh my audience, my audience, my audience. Well, if you put out a video, nobody watching it, nobody watches mm-hmm. it. Who'd you record it for yourself? Yeah. You got to be happy about the content you put out there. Yep. And, and, and you and I know that sometimes you think you knocked it out of the park and it gets no views, no yep. feedback. And something you you deem that is very quick and and simple and and probably not going to get a lot of attention winds up taking off. So it's a very weird uh, formula out there that nobody can master. Only a few really good, individ- talented individuals and dedicated individuals can understand somewhat uh, well, how how to make this work. But, While we're on the subject of YouTube, you were sure. talking about, you know, doing doing editing on your iPad. So I'm guessing you're editing in iMovie or are you also editing in Final no, Cut? Fusion. I, oh, I, Fusion. I use Fusion, yeah. Yeah, it was like a $20 app and it's very powerful. I'm still learning it. I learned, you know, most of the basics, but there, there's it's such a, a very powerful app, mobile app, that uh, I was really surprised by what I can do with it. Now, of course, it's still limited because it's on a tablet, but I still prefer it over iMovie on my iMac. Like, really? it's very limited because I can't do 4K, which is weird. That's a little wild. I can't edit 4K video on my 5K display. <laughs> what yeah. the hell? Same thing with YouTube. If I go on Safari, I can't watch uh, 4K YouTube videos on Safari. I would have to use Chrome. That's crazy. Yeah, so it's kind of odd. And so I'll go back to my iPad and even iMovie on the iPad Pro will do 4K. And it's like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's a little that's a little trippy. Yeah, which, you know, it's Apple and we know that they have their methods. Uh, so, but I have the option and I have the, the flexibility of going with either one. So if I do a video that I know I don't that I feel doesn't necessarily need 4K, what I'll do is I'll record 4K. And then I'll downsample to 10, 1080p, and there's nice. still more detail and everything like that uh, than an average 1080p video. And it, I'll keep it five minutes or so so that it's a quick upload. If I want to get really in-depth on a review, I'll do it in 4K, and then I'll edit it, which is weird, on my iPad Pro that's, <laughs> so I can get 4K. That's pretty wild. And the, and the thing about it is um, you know, you, you're doing a lot of the editing are you pretty much creating all the assets and everything yourself or are you getting templates and doing it like that? Like, how's your process for that? Or you just figure, ah, I'll just throw the video out. I don't need no intro, no outro, nothing fancy. If somebody wants to watch it, they're going to watch it. I will. All the music, if there's music, sometimes I like to put some some background music. It's yeah, music, music that I created on GarageBand. All right. Look at that. Yeah, I do. You know, I try to do, as I stated, I try to keep busy. Yep. So, uh, you know, my son gets somewhat of his creativity from from me doing all types of different things with him. So I'll do the music myself. 
and I'll basically maybe once in a while throw in a little uh, little text somewhere, maybe with my Twitter or Instagram address or the product that I'm reviewing. But besides that, uh, GarageBand is very simple, and Fusion it's it's very complex for such a, for a mobile device. I've wanted to upgrade to more powerful editing software, but I'm afraid that if I start getting into that, that I'm going to occupy so much time trying to <laughs> learn it. Yeah, that's how I am. I try to learn everything about certain things before I go, which is what you technically should be doing. But I'll I'll sit and watch eight hours of YouTube videos trying to learn the software. Yep, that's in, what happened with Premiere. Yep. Yeah, so Premiere is very powerful, and I see a lot of people doing great things with it, but I feel that because of the the amount of content I'm currently putting out, which is not that much, I feel that what I'm doing is good enough for now. Once I start getting dedicated and throwing out more consistent content, then I'll, I'll try to use Premiere Pro or something like that. Now, you know, the, the, the thing about it is that you've made the, uh, you know, I, before, before I jump into that, Adobe recently announced now that you're going to be able to get a full suite, pretty much of Photoshop on an iPad. Yeah. How, you yeah. know, as somebody, you know, and this will be a good segue into your, your photography endeavors. How do you, how do you feel about that as somebody who uses, you know, like Lightroom and things like that? Now you'll be able to have like a full suite, like right on your iPad. Yeah, that's amazing. I do use Lightroom. I used it on the Note 8 when I had it. I use it on the iPad Pro. The iPad Pro has been like my go-to device. It's like one of the, you know how you purchase something and, and every time you use it, you're like, this is one of the smartest purchases I've ever made. 100%. That's the iPad Pro with the pencil. And I, whenever I do my street photography, I load it onto my iPad Pro. I instantly do my editing right there. And then I'll upload it if I want to. Photoshop, I, I've dabbled with it here and there. There's certain little tricks I can do here and there. Um, I, I never really implemented Photoshop into my photography. Okay. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing about, as far as me being against it, because I know there are people who implement Photoshop heavily onto their photos. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So if they have the skill set for that, then more power to them. Me personally, I try to keep my photos as as uh, close to what they were before I did any type of editing. When I usually do not, uh, Lightroom editing, I'll try to uh, level out the photo, maybe crop certain things not too heavily, and adjust certain presets okay. for lighting and mood and things like that. And it all depends how I'm feeling that specific day. With Fuji, I can put it in Acros. I have my own little setting for Acros, which is black and white. And I just shoot all day with that. So it all depends what mood I'm in. But Lightroom, mobile, it, it, it's uh, badass. I'm, I'm happy with it. And, you know, now that we're going to get a full dedicated uh, Photoshop application, I guess it, it's time for me to, like, really delve into that one as well well you were you mentioned you know that you were using lightroom on the note 8 um you know as somebody who's a, who's a techie like me i know you were you were heavily into the note 8 and you recently switched back to apple correct yeah yeah what what spurred phone. that <laughs> yeah what what spurred that change i mean 
Uh, you were taking some beautiful photography on the Note 8, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's amazing what these cameras can do now on, on, on our smartphones. Yep. And the old saying, and I'm sure you know what I'm going to say, is that the best camera you have is the one that's on you. 100%. So the thing I enjoyed about the Note 8 for from a camera standpoint was that I can double tap the button and it would pop up with the iPhone uh, S iPhone 10 S max. The one I have, you got a, you know, uh, you got the heptic, uh, no 3d touch to, to activate the camera. But once I unlock my screen, unless I have the camera app there, I have to scroll down and then, you know, so it's, it was a lot to me anyway, more familiar and a little faster to launch that camera right on the note eight. Okay. So, so what got me back though, uh, you know, I, I, I've always enjoyed bouncing between the note series and the iPhone. And I felt that the note eight at the time was going to be more beneficial to me. Uh, and then once I started dabbling with the photo and then once again, I would use Lightroom because I could, you could take photos, raw photos with the note camera. Yep. Whether it's the eight or the, or the nine with the iPhone it's more like JPEG. So I would take raw photos on the note eight and then edit with Lightroom. So you would get more flexibility as the type of, to the type of mood you want to make your, your photos. So, uh, but what got me in, back into iPhone was mainly that my wife and my son, they have the iPhone 8 Plus, and they used to FaceTime each other, uh, sending, for example, if I had photos or, or videos of my son's games, I couldn't send them to him. I couldn't airdrop them to him. Ah, okay. So, you know, I had to go through a process of uploading it to a to Dropbox Google Drive. Or and Google he would, Drive. Yeah, so I was like, you know what? They have the bigger screen. And that's usually why I would go with the eight besides the pen, the pen, the, that the note eight, the note series period. And the S pen is like, that's what I miss, one of man. The best. Yeah. One of the best creations ever. <laughs> yeah. I miss it, man. If, if they would, if Apple would have, would have done like, you know, like the 10 S max and they would have, mm -hmm. and they would have found a way to put a pencil in the phone, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude, it'd be, it'd be game over. Or even allow us to use the Apple Pencil. Yes. As, as as dumb as that would look, it would still give us that flexibility. Oh, hundred percent. But having that having that pen built into the phone, uh, it just is it, so valuable, and a lot of people didn't understand that. Yep. So yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing I miss of the Note Eight. But okay. Overall, I, I'm very satisfied with the with the Max or the yeah. new iPhone. Yeah, the 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 photos, especially with the with the adjusting of the bokeh with the portrait mode. Yeah, oh man, yeah. that's some, <laughs> that's that that's some. When I saw that, I said, "Yeah." I mean, yep. unless you unless you're getting like you know the Pixel Three, which definitely has something similar. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, the fact that you can change the entire composition of a photo, yeah. right on your device post without having to worry about oh how am I gonna black this out or how am I gonna do this or I don't want people to see this now you just do it and you're done I was like wow that's yeah. that's that's on another level yeah and you could use uh, for example Lightroom again you could even use the camera app built into Lightroom and it will give you raw capability so you can do more editing if you want to use it on your iPhone and have more editing capabilities or flexibility on Lightroom. You can do that. So sometimes I do that with Lightroom 
but for the most part, most of the use that we we have for our cameras on smartphones is that you have that capability of taking it out of your pocket, doing a snapshot really quick yep. and posting it up. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when when my daughter was born, it's like I took, uh, you know, I switched back to Canon. I, I got the uh, the Canon M50 uh, mirrorless. Yeah, very small. And, yeah, very small, compact. Yeah. So I threw that on there and, I, you know, it came bundled with the uh, the adapter to use regular Canon lenses. So I oh, attached, nice. yeah, I attached the nifty 50 to it and I yep. said, all right, I'm just going to leave a nifty 50 on here and I'm going to take it with me to the hospital. So, <laughs> you know, when she was born, like within the first 30 minutes, you know, I had taken like 25 photos with my, with my phone, you know, like boom, 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 boom. And then, yeah. um, with the, with the fifth, with the M50, I took like, I guess what ended up being what my wife used kind of like as a birth announcement Allison. photo. You know, yeah, it, it was like the birth announcement photo, you know, it was low light. It was a nice portrait, 50 millimeters. Oh, nice. And the beauty with the Canon N50 was I just sent it, boom, right from there to my phone, from my phone, mm-hmm. right to the Internet, done. And, you know, to go back to what you were saying, you know, it's that flexibility, especially with Apple, because like my wife has an iPhone and she was like, oh, airdrop me that photo. So I'd air, exactly. you know, like exactly. I, I totally, totally understand now, you know, you know, going into your latest endeavor photography when you started getting into it you were mainly a nikon guy right yeah yeah (laughs) um actually i started out with my mobile phones and then people were telling me dude jump to a dslr make the next step and once again i was like yeah you know i really don't want to invest time and learning a whole you know a whole new system so finally i said you know what it's nearly christmas time i got a bonus i bought me a nikon 3300 and i bought it at best buy came with the camera bag two lenses and it's a very uh entry level very very entry level camera so my friend julie was like learn everything manually don't set it to automatic do everything yourself so of course i had to look at a lot of youtube videos understand the process same boat of of (laughs) iso aperture shutter speed and everything like that the next week, I outgrew the menu system. No, actually, the next week, they said the 3400 was out. Yep. So I said, oh, I still got time to do <laughs> an exchange. I took it back, got the 3400, and I outgrew the menu system. I outgrew the camera. It's very small, very lightweight. So it was a very good entry-level camera. The Nikon D7100 went on sale, just a body. And one of my co-hosts, he goes by the name of Heroic Superman. He had the D7100. So I sent him a text and he goes, if you want to learn about photography, get that camera. It's at a great price and you don't have to worry about upgrading for a very long time. Right. I watched one guy who calls himself the angry photographer on YouTube and he had nothing but high praises for the D7100. So I went ahead, went to Long Island, purchased it, had uh, it had power. I had a memory card. I had my 35 millimeter lens. Oh boy. Off to the races. (laughs) Yep. But you know, what was funny, dude. I didn't even know how to, (laughs) I had no idea because the menu system was totally different because I was using an entry level menu system. It was very straight to the point. So imagine having a Samsung phone and you know how they have that simple layout, right? Imagine having that on a camera and then jumping over to a pure android experience yep and you're like what 
So for 30 minutes, I had no idea how to even take a photo because I had to set things up in a certain way. And I'm snapping the photos. I can't preview them. I'm like, how do I do this? So it was a totally different learning experience. And I got used to that camera uh, because they say get used to the, to the hardware you're using to the point where you don't even have to look down and, t- and, and realize what settings you want to put. You already have that set up. You can do it without looking. And you can focus more on what you want to take the photo of. So I got to that point. And then, of course, uh, a few years later, I upgraded. Actually, I made an addition. I, I wanted to get into more video, so I bought a Panasonic G7, which had nice. 4K. Nice one. Yeah, very nice. Very To this day, is a great value. It has 4K video. I've taken really good photos with it, and it's very small. So that was my street camera. And I started to leave the D7100 home because, believe it or not, I used to carry my old photography bag with, like, four lenses, my my D7100, which is a big full-size DSLR camera, and then my iPad. So I was carrying, like, a full-blown camera bag to work every day. Yep. I know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, what am I doing? And then I bought the smaller Lumix G7 and just walked around East Village with that every day. And then, of course... uh, I started getting into Fuji, and that was the end of that. <laughs> yeah, so what was the first Fuji you ended up buying? Because I remember you went from the, the the Nikon to the Panasonic, but then I don't remember where you jumped in on the on Fuji. Was it the, X, yeah, the, the it was, X-T1 or something? So I want to say it was the uh, X-T10. X-T10. And uh, once again, um, if you if you never watched him, he's the angry photographer. Now, he's very annoying. My wife can't <laughs> stand when I'm watching him because he's very arrogant. But the guy has so much Nikon gear, and he even has a Nikon tattoo. Oh, jeez! But but he started pray, he started like gloating over these the Fuji XT2, and he's like, "This is a mirrorless camera. It's you know smaller than my full frame cameras, my Nikon's, and everything like that." He goes, "It is the most." Uh, he 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 says it's like his legendary camera, you know. So he he was like, "It's one of the." My most legendary cameras, Fuji has come a long way, blah, blah, blah. So I started listening to him, and I saw the X-T10, and I was like, oh, man, they got an X-T10. So I purchased it. I traded something in, I believe. No, as a matter of fact, I had three cameras, so I I knew I was going to sell one. So I got the X-T10. The next three days, the X-T20 comes out. So it was the (laughs) Nikon all over again. Oh, geez. It evolved from Nikon to Fuji. Same thing happened. So, of course, the X-T20 had more features, the bigger sensor, and uh, you know, it, it, it looked the same. So I, I was familiar with the size, but it was a little too small for me because it's interchangeable. So like the X100F is is a 23-millimeter lens, but that's like what all Fuji enthusiasts use for street photography because it's one lens and it fits in your pocket, things of that sort. Right. So this was more of an interchangeable lens. So uh, when I got a promotion from work, maybe four months later, I was like, now I can get the X-T2. So I took back, you know, a Best Buy of your uh, VIP member or something like that. Yep. You get 45 days to do your return. That's right. Got the X-T2, and that was it. That That's when I committed to buying Fuji lenses. Of course, I could, I could use adapters for Nikon, Canon so forth and so forth but 
that XT2 was like built like a tank. It was small, a lot smaller than my, my D7100 and the better in, in lower light. The lenses were, were incredible. So on Nikon, but there was just because it had the aperture, the ISO, the shutter speed, had all those dials available on top. It felt very, very retro. Nice. And without I just being retro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I, in high school, I went to JFK high school and my freshman year, there was a photography course and the teacher taught us how to build a camera out of cardboard. And then we had to lift the shutter. We had a, basically it was a pinhole. We had to lift the flap over and it was up to us to determine how much light we wanted to come in. And you had film inside and then we had to develop the film. So that's where the, the roots of my interest in photography came in. Cause my friends and I would buy black and white, uh, film and my friend, you know, somebody would always have a camera and we do all these, you know, cool poses next to abandoned cars or train, you know, train tracks, things like that, you know? So we were always the kids with the leather jackets, you know, the, the doc Martin. So we were into that. And, uh, that's where with, with the, the, the phones, that's where I just kept up. And that's why you see me use a lot of black and white. Right. And so once I felt the XT two in person, I was like, wow, this is as, this is like a flashback to, the old days. Nice. And I just stuck with it. It's funny. I had a, a similar path. I went, it's weird. I started shooting Sony first. I had the, uh, the a 58 and the, the, then I got the 99, the a 99. And then I'm like, I started doing video and I'm like, Oh man, I could hear it focusing in the video. So I ditched that. Then I made yeah, the jump to Canon D 70, right? I, I ended up. Yeah. I got the, the can, the, the Canon 80, the 80 D and um love that but then you know i was doing uh toy fair and i'm walking around with this giant camera on yeah. my neck and i was like <laughs> i was like all right this sucks then everybody's like i'll ah, get the sony blah 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 so i got the sony but then i didn't like the fact that you couldn't rotate the screen you know and first i got the a6300 then the a55 the 6500 and i said to myself this camera is all this money all these lenses it's great but number one, you know, would overheat if you tried to do 4K yeah. video. And then the other thing was that, you know, even though people were, were buying external monitors, it's like, listen, this camera costs whatever, you know, $1,500 with the lenses plus the other lenses I bought. Yeah, and now and you got to buy an external monitor. Yeah, man, I was just and like... And make it bulky. Yep. <laughs> and, and mind you, you know, I put the uh, the small rig cages on my camera, so, you know, which was nice. But still, I'm like, all right, this is ridiculous. So when, when Canon dropped that M50, I said, all right, I can still do 1080. It does 4K, which I don't do anyway. I only shoot 1080. I, you know, yeah. it still does, you know, a decent amount of frames per second for, for if I'm, you know, at a wrestling event or something like that. And the Canon glass is just cheap, you know? So yeah. Yeah. man, it, it, it was, yeah, it was a no brainer. So I ended up just going back to the M50. It was small, you know, even with the adapter and the nifty 50, I could throw it in. Like if I'm wearing like cargo shorts, I could just throw it in the cargo pocket, keep it moving. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had a similar upgrade path to, for you, you know, like you did the, my only thing is I still haven't mastered doing manual photography. So I still kind of cheat with a little auto, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, um, yeah, I remember I showed you, uh, yep. aperture priority. Hell yeah. <laughs> I use that. I use that on the, on the <clears throat> Canon. I mean, on the, uh, the Sony I had exclusively once you showed me and 
I use that to shoot a lot of my stuff. And then yeah. now most of mostly everything else I'm shooting on the uh, the iPhone 8 Plus, but I'm going to make the jump to the 10s. So we had similar upgrade paths. Now for you, you know, now that you're shooting exclusively with Fuji and you said you picked up what the 23 millimeter, that's the that's the main street lens. Yeah, I had the 23. So what I have now is I have the 16 millimeter F, which is like Fuji's. Some people say it's Fuji's best lens because it's so flexible. I can do street. I can do landscape. I can do quasi macro. Nice. Portraits. So it is very versatile. It's weatherproof. It doesn't have eye, you know, in body stabilization, but it's really sharp. So that's like my main, like it's hard to take it off my camera. Then I traded my 23 millimeter F2, which had really quiet and fast autofocus. So that's what I, a lot of my older street photography was with that. Oh, okay. And believe it or not, it took a long time, not too long, but it took a while to get used to the focal length because I was used to 50 millimeter or 35 millimeter. Yep. With Same Nikon. boat. And 23, I was like, oh, my God, I'm too far. Same thing with the 16, because you got such a wide angle that I had to adjust to learning, like, okay, if I want to do street photography, I kind of got to get close. Yep, you got to get used to zooming with your feet. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Same thing with 23. So I got so used to that focal length that I was able to shoot from the hip, which is hold my camera somewhat in a horizontal fashion. And it, it looks, and I'm just walking, I'll put it in a high shutter speed and I would kind of slow down, hit my back focus and then shoot. Now what a lot of guys do, or a lot of photographers, male, female, of course, some of the more skilled photographers, especially events. Now I consider street photography an event because 100%. you never know what's going to go on. You can see somebody really interesting and you want to shoot them really quick, shoot a photo of them, not just shoot them. Same thing at an event. You never know what type of action is going to occur. So a lot of people use what I was showing you, aperture, aperture priority or shutter priority, where they'll put the shutter speed at, let's say, 1,000 if it's a sporting event and let the, let the camera do everything else, aperture and iOS. And some sports photographers, for example, will tell you they don't care if there's a lot of grain in the photo. They just want to get that shot. Because right. You know, you don't want to miss something historic that will cost them money, uh, notoriety, et cetera, et cetera. So I've, I and, and it was surprising, you know, I'll listen to the Fuji Love podcast. Some of the guests that they had, they said they'll put in automatic when they're wow. doing street photography or events because they don't want to miss out. They said they'd rather get the shot and have everything, let's say, in focus like me. I like a lot of. You know, that blurry background, yep. isolate my, my subjects. They said they just want to get the shot. So sometimes they will leave it on automatic. And I was really surprised. That's crazy. But it, yeah. But the, the key thing is that it comes down to the glass. And that's something I had to learn. I was just telling you how I went to through four cameras in a span of two years. Yep. When in reality, I had the D7100, which I met a few guys who made a living with the D7100 to this day, and they don't want to get rid of it. And they told me, hey, I spent all the money on glass, which is the lens for those not familiar. And that statement is so true. Yep. I used to hear it all the time until, and now I, I'm very satisfied with what I have. 
I have the 16. I have a 35 millimeter F 1.4 that I traded for. Uh, I traded my 23, believe it or not. <laughs> so a guy from Europe, he posted on one of the Fuji groups and I was like, you know what? Let me, let me, he, he was asking specifically for the lens I had. I said, what the hell? Let me, let me ask him if he wants to do this trade. And we made the trade and it was clean. Lens was clean. Uh, mine, mine was clean as well. And it's a very slow lens because it's one of Fuji's first lenses. Right. But the character of that lens is crazy. And, and these are so, all first party, right? These are all Fuji branded yes. lenses. Like you're not. Yeah. Okay. And I have a, a, a macro. It's a macro lens, 60 millimeter, which takes amazing portrait. Another slow lens. And the other one that I spent the most money ever on a lens. Uh, well, two of them were over $900. Wow. Uh, each, each. But the 90 millimeter, which F, uh, F2, man, that thing has such beautiful background blur. And you can isolate your, your because of the nice uh, close focus you can get on a, not close as far as like macro or whatever, but you know, the compression and everything. Oh man, that, that I look for reasons to use that lens because I can't take <laughs> it for street photography, you know, because you need something that gives you distance, but that I wouldn't need, need a lot of distance. And you want to also, and correct me if I'm wrong with street photography, it's one of those things where you kind of just want to blend in the background when you're shooting. Exactly. Cause I've seen some of your shots and I'm like, wow, that person didn't even mind that. You know, like when you <laughs> shot, um, I think you were, you were walking and there was like a street market yeah and i and, yeah <laughs> and that's what i mean like like you almost want to blend in and make it seamless so you know that's yes. definitely yeah one of those things because i stand out already right so it's kind of hard for me because you know i'm somewhat tall and i have you know bald head with a big goatee and i i usually walk fast so i kind of stand out because if you're in my way some people think i'm going to run them over or whatever so i try to like blend in slow down Try not to make it. I don't make eye contact. And like I said, a lot of times I'll try to get an image where I'm angling the camera on my side. And then I'll try my best from practice, of course, to make it as level as possible. And back button focusing is essentially I'm replacing the shutter button. You know how you half press it to, to focus. Yep. I'm using a dedicated back button nice. so that I'm. I'm focused in, and then I sh use the shutter. So that kind of gives me an advantage. So you're essentially of, shooting blind. Yes. Wow, yes. that's 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 talent, man. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say maybe fifty percent of of what I. If you ever if you ever see most of my photos and they're uh, angled kind of crooked, or or the photo is angled where it's uh, vertically yep. uh, orientated. That's usually from the hip. Now, unless I, I'm like really, really focused on somebody's face, and you could tell that it was staged or whatever, then that's a different story. But <laughs> well, you said you edit. You take your iPad with you. So what do you do? You pop the SD card out. You throw it in the card reader. Plug it into your iPad, and then you just do all yes. your edits on the fly. Yeah, I have a little dongle that you know from Apple, and right. uh, it, it's uh, because I now with with iOS 12, you can before you could do raw, but now you have raw. And, and JPEG. So I always shoot both. I'll do fine JPEG and raw. So a lot of times if I'm just going out there and shooting for fun 
if I know I'm going to shoot buildings or structures and some people, I'll leave it on JPEG. If I'm at an event and I know I want some flexibility, I'll do raw and JPEG. Okay. And so the iPad gives me the capability of uploading both directly into my iPad. And then when you activate Lightroom, it will break it down into raw and JPEG. So I keep it at raw and then I, it will give me more flexibility when editing. And with the pencil, it's, it's like so easy. Now, um, the, the other thing I was going to ask with, you know, you said you're, you're uploading, are you importing it back to your device for the upload or is your iPad, uh, have cellular data also? No, what I'll, what I'll do is now that, because before it was a lot harder. So because I had the note eight, I would have to keep it on my iPad and then use my phone as a hotspot. Right. So if I wanted to upload it to Flickr or Google Drive, somewhere that I can download it from to my Note 8, uh, I would have to use some, some kind, of, kind of cloud storage. Now I can just easily airdrop it to my phone and nice. then upload it to wherever I want to upload it from my phone. You're not going to get the full raw file but you'll get the final product. Oh, so then you airdrop from your iPad back to your phone. Yes. Okay, okay. Now, you were mentioning, you mentioned Flickr before. I know that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, now they're with Instagram. Are you sharing the bulk of your photos on Instagram, or are you still putting them in places like Flickr or SmugMug or? I'll try, I'll try, like, I haven't really focused on Flickr as much, but every once in a while, I'll put a, an entire album of photos there. Yep, I get the notification. <laughs> yeah. Jose uploaded and, some uh, photos. I'll be like, let's see yeah. what he got. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're one of the few that follow me. Like, yep. it's really dead for me as as far as my feed is concerned. Uh, but Flickr, I'll post on Flickr. Uh, it'll be a mixture of stuff that I edited and stuff that I did with my phone. And yeah. uh, I'll get, you know, like, I think my highest like uh, or my or, or the photo that had the most likes was maybe a hundred likes. Wow! Like I don't get like that one photo that gets like you know twenty thousand likes. Like not that I'm saying that it, I deserve it, but it, it it goes hand in hand with that YouTube, uh, you know the calculations and 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 what works. Like you just don't know what's going to work. What's going to like I'll think like oh this photo's pretty dope. And it gets, you know, 12 likes. And I'm like, damn, my other one got 50. And that, that kind of was whack. So you just don't know. So I just throw whatever. It, as Same thing with YouTube. How you were saying that you make these videos, you make them for you. I do my photography when I upload it to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. It's because I like them. And I feel that I'm comfortable putting them out there. If it's something, once again, I, I don't like to go with the trends. I'm not going to post a photo of me uh, holding like a crystal bowl, you know, one of those see-through bowls right. looking at the bridge. You know, like some people, you see a lot of people kind of copying other more popular photography styles or, or photos like with the tent and the feet hanging out and things like that. And more power to them, once again, if that's what they want to do. But I just put whatever I feel like I like. And then I, you know, whatever type of feedback I get, I appreciate it and, and, and move on. And and you were mentioning that, you know, you're, you're doing, uh, you're sharing the photos, like how, how crucial now that, you know, especially 
with, with the explosion of the platform has Instagram been with you sharing your photos? Do you feel that given that it's such a photo centric social media account that you feel your stuff gets, I don't know, it gets more love there than any place else because it's like-minded individuals, obviously hashtags play a big part, but do you feel that that's the case? You know, what's really weird. I get more feedback from Facebook. Really? Yeah. And and it's friends and it's also people that I follow and follow me back that are into photography. That's awesome. Which is weird. You would think it would be Instagram. Once in a while, I get a random account that would be like, wow, this is a great photo. And then I would look, you know, I would thank them, of course, and then look at their stuff to see if they're a spy, you know, some type of spam bot or, and they're photographers as well. And I'll look at some of their stuff, give them a, a like and comment on there. You know, I'll try to return the favor. Nice. I, I was started messing I with more photographers on there, but yeah, it's really not that interactive with me as anyway. I don't know about you. you no, I, I, more luck. I, yeah, I, uh, you know, I jumped, I, you know, I started messing with Vero cause there's a guy, uh, Jason LeBoy. He does like, uh, yeah, yeah. Jason. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I went, I, I, I signed up for Vero. I started posting photos on Vero. And then what I ended up doing was I kind of messed around with it for a bit, but you know, the gram is the gram, man. Like it's so it's such a it's it's so it's so massive at this point so i'm like it's like with snapchat it's like once instagram added all those features that snapchat had it's like i barely go into snapchat i actually go to snapchat to watch like news like you know there's like a couple of channels like of of, oh yeah you know like daily mail and stuff like that so i'll pop in and and watch that but like instagram has become like probably the most the, the most frequently used social media platform on my phone uh, yeah, you know, Instagram here. first and then Facebook second and then Twitter third sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing, <laughs> but the thing about it is that with Instagram, once, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, you got to kind of figure out your niche and stuff like that. And, and I laugh because I'm like, yo, what if I just want to share my, my stuff, you know, like, and that's yeah, what ended up happening. Yeah. I ended up separating my personal interest from, you know, the Rageworks brand and, I started just doing stuff personally and I noticed that more people just start following me. Like I put more photos of food, more food people follow me. I put more photos of sneakers, (laughs) more sneaker people follow me. So, you know, it's just funny how that works. But in your case, I I always like it because you always make New York city, the star in your photos. And I think that that's, you know, that's, that's what matters most when it comes to composition. And I don't even say it because you're my boy, but I say it just because you do something that, yeah, you know, we were talking about being unique before we started recording, and that's one thing you keep New York as as that centerpiece. Like you know that that's a New York shot. You know, you know that's the subway. Yeah. You know that's you know the Fifty Ninth Street Bridge. You know that's Colum- Hell, I I think when we came, I I was going through some photos when we came out of the uh, the gaming event, and we went on a yeah on a mock yeah, photo yeah, walk. Yep. <laughs> walking through uh walking over there in Columbus Circle, man, and you know, we were just shooting for the hell of it, man, and we, you know, it was it was just fun, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Spur of the moment, just uh you know, admiring the, the surroundings that we sometimes take advantage of. You know, we take it for granted that we live in such a beautiful city. And so as as someone who's grown up here all my life and uh I like to share like Especially I have friends who used to live in New York. So like one of my co-hosts said, yo, you know, you, you always take these photos and it's kind of like I'm even though I live in Texas, it's like kind of like I can I can be there for one quick second. 
And oh, so that's why I constantly take like the non non popular photo of thing happenings in New York. I basically try to keep it where it's my trip to work and my trip back from work. Nice. While in the subway or, or the car, whatever. Well, and, I always like know. it too. It has that humans of New York vibe. Yeah, yeah, that, I, which I, I like, I got, man. I got wind of that, and I watched his videos, and I'm like, holy crap, that yep. dude is, you know, courageous. Number one, and the way he makes it, he makes it so. Once again, he makes it feel personable. Yep. Not forced. Not hey, everybody. You know, he said, oh, I even raise my voice a little higher so I could be more pleasing because he's a tall dude. I never met him, but I watched a bunch of his videos, but he made it personable. And I'm like, I can't do that because no, somebody's going to be like, oh my God, what, what, why is this guy coming up to me? So that I, I can respect that because that's something that per, me personally, I don't think I can do. So that's what I gravitate to, to things that I know I can't do, but other people are like knocking it out of the park and I can respect that. So, so is ingenuity or, 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 or creativity that that's being shown like like that when I saw that, like by luck, I saw it and I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. That's tremendous. I um, you know, I look I look at like I said, you know, a lot of a lot of especially now that I'm doing more photo stuff here and there. And, you know, we've done stuff together and I've covered photo plus. I actually skipped it this year for obvious reasons. But, yeah. um, you know, it's just it's just interesting that the you know an image can tell a story just based on the person who's shooting it because you know if if you shoot it you know and you do a black and white photo you convey a different emotion than if it was a color photo or if it was a photo that had more filters so it's it's crazy the amount of storytelling and best of all you know to your point that you can tell so many of these stories with just a device in your pocket yeah yeah which is beautiful which is we started out talking about how tough it was the podcast and using yep. a little flimsy radio shack headphones and now you know and? the technology in our pocket is like leaps and bounds uh, ahead of what i used to use and just to quickly go back to to the photography stuff really quick like i i try not to do homeless people because like it's so easy to just go yep. to some homeless guy and, to, and it's like yeah we all know that that's part of the New York city vibe. Yep. And if, you know, I have a few out there, I try to make it look as part of a story, but not the main story. Absolutely. Like, I don't want to show somebody's hardship and try to get likes in a cheap way. Yep. So it's, and you were asking me about the business side of things. It's kind of where my stubbornness comes in. Cause I, I want to stay true to what I believe in your root. Yeah. And I don't want to like become, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of successful artists, uh, content creators, they have to do something else in order to support their true passion. 100%. Fortunately, me, fortunately for me, I have a trade, a skill trade, you know, elevated technician. But, I, you know, if I had a choice, I wouldn't be doing that as a career. But if I, let's say, wanted to do photography as a full-time job, there would have to be some type of compromise where I would be like, all right, I'm going to have to do a wedding to, to make some money for yep. this month. Uh, me, I'd rather do like portrait shots of a business or something, but right. like a lot of people say there is money to be made in photography. You just have to kind of compromise, do something you're not a hundred percent willing to do or thinking of doing just to keep your head above water and make some money 
and then build your niche outside of that work environment and, and just use the finances to, to build upon your niche. And there's a few like Kevin Mullins, big Fuji uh, film user. And he used to use Canon, I believe, in his photography when he does weddings. And he's a big time wedding photographer. He has a freaking X-Pro2 with, uh, I think he uses, like he uses mainly two lenses tops. And most of his wedding photography is in black and white. And he does that documentary style that I've grown up using. And so that's why I gravitated to him. I'm like, oh, this is what I, this is how I would shoot a wedding if I ever did a wedding. Is people like getting the true emotions. They don't know I'm even there. Right. Blending and in. Not posing, trying to look pretty. Of course, he does his typical uh, photo shots where everybody's together and you got the bride and groom showing off the ring, things like that. But overall, he gets requests to do weddings because they want that old time black and white look and they want that candid look. But you got to you got to work on it. You got to build that type of reputation, that trust where people say, all right, this guy, this is his niche and it works. And that's what I want. So that's basically what I'm trying to do before I try to commit and make money, you know, on a, I'm working on a part-time basis of making right. money before I think of going any further. So it's a lot of layers well, that's to work a, on. <laughs> I No, I think that's, a, that's actually a good way before, before we jump into the hot seat segment, the hot seat segment of the show. We, I like to always like ask, ask my guests, you know, especially in, in your case for, We'll we'll start with the easiest one, you know, with 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 your origins to to an aspiring podcaster to somebody who's contemplating jumping into this now. What yeah. it, what what's one piece of advice you'd give them uh, to podcasting? Yep. All right. So we spoke about how picking up bad habits, or or not necessarily bad habits, but picking up habits where you're kind of uh, blending in with everybody else, and the right. hardest thing nowadays. It's to stick out because of who you are, your natural talents, your personality. You've seen it on my Twitter feed where people attack me because I'm dead honest about things that I own and, and I feel strongly about, but that's not allowed. So I, I keep going. I feed off it because I'm like, you're not going to change what I believe in. Right. No matter how many times you guys troll me and try to, you know, try to discourage me from speaking what I want to speak. So. Is that my way of sticking out? Maybe it is, but it's not easy. So what advice I would give people, whether you're creating a podcast, YouTube, whatever, uh, just creating period. You're going to get a lot of people who assume that they know more than you. Listening to feedback is great. Uh, learning how to take constructive criticism is very important because the individual looking to start a podcast might assume, hey, I know more than you about the topic that I'm talking about. So who are you to tell me what I'm doing wrong or I'm doing right? So take criticism. Pick the things you want to learn from, from each critique. Even some of the very obvious troll uh, comments, they will say something. A lot of people used to tell me that I, I, I pause too much. I, I, I'm, I sound too mellow. And that's just who I am. Right. But I learned that, okay, I need to speed things up a little bit when I talk. I need to cut down on the pauses. Right. That's stuff I need to work on. My Even vocabulary. I used to, I when you hear how I used to sound in Potacular, my first episode, 
I'm straight out of the Bronx talking like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and then what you hear now is a lot different. So it's a constant uh, rotation or or not rotation, wrong word, but you're constantly learning. You need to constantly learn. So that's one thing I would say. Okay. Learn from critique, accept critique, but learn from it. Learn what you can do better and learn the craft of whatever you want to talk about. Try to be the expert, don't, but don't try to be too arrogant to where you refuse to learn. So nice. that, that would be my advice. What about for aspiring photographers, since that's your newest passion? All right. Photography is, once again, you're creating content. And so I get people who tell me, man, you do nothing but black and white. Why don't you do more color? And sometimes <laughs> I will, but that's not who you are. You know, yeah, exactly. And it's an extension for me personally. Photography is an extension of who I am. So what, depending on the mood I'm in, that you'll see a different a trend of, 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 of different types of photographs that I'll take. And once again, it's, it's about learning. Like you, photography is one thing that you might learn the entire menu system, like the back of your hands, but now you got to learn different aperture settings. You got to learn ISO, shutter speed, and learn if you want to go manual. Now you got to know when to adjust uh, your shutter speed so that you get sharper images. Like a lot of people don't realize that shutter speed is very important for sharper images. You could be steady, but if you're shooting at 30, uh, at a shutter speed of 30, you're gonna you're at risk of getting a blurry image. So shutter speed is important. Aperture. If you have a like my lens, I have two lenses that are 1.4. If I put them at 1.4, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a, a small piece of somebody's eye that is really sharp, and everything's gonna be blurred out because of my distance, because of my aperture, so on and so on. So you might think, hey, I know this camera, but like the back of my hand. But then all of a sudden you're like wow, this is not coming out the way I want it. So you need to study, like self-study. There's a lot of information out there, and there's no reason why you can't study the importance of each factor. Now, when it comes to creativity, that's one thing that nobody can tell you about, and it goes with the podcasting uh, advice. Stick with what you know. Stick with what you're passionate about, and don't let anyone discourage you that, hey, you should take wedding photos Instead of taking photos of architecture, if that's what you want to do. Just do it, knock it out of the park, and then experiment here and there. It, it will come naturally, but stick with your passion first. Whatever you like shooting, hopefully it's not homeless people, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether it's homeless people, you're still going to have to learn that camera. So just like the podcast advice, learn, 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 and stick with within your limits and believe in them nice all right i think that's a that's a good way to close out the uh the third degree our our interview portion of the show we're going to jump into the hot seat just a, a series of rapid fire questions real real casual awesome. real real easy um three what are three apps three mobile apps that you can't live without on any mobile device hmm i would have to say lightroom <laughs> For the, for the for the photos. Yep. Facebook because it keeps me in touch with old high school friends and family that I have throughout the United States, which is kind of messed up because I could always use the phone. But 
since everybody uses, you know, social media or social networks. So yep. Facebook would be one thing. And I guess Gmail. <laughs> G- of course. Nice. That's a that's a good one. Um <laughs> and, you know, you're 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 a desktop user and a and a mobile user. Any reason why you never opted to have a laptop? Like why why like why would you just prefer using mobile device and desktop? Yeah, I I, I have a laptop here, Windows laptop. We <laughs> we moved along. It, it still works. Last time starts, you turned but, it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Bought some MacBook Pros here and there, real even MacBook Airs to be a little more mobile, but realized that it's just not the same. Uh, it, it's not. It, it was unnecessary. Okay, because. As I stated with the iPad Pro, it was like way more capable of doing what I wanted to do than a, than a MacBook Air. Nice. And a MacBook is expensive. And yeah. we did buy one a few months ago, and then we decided to get the desktop. Like, you know what? The desktop would benefit me more. I have more sta- storage capabilities and expandability, excuse me. And, and as we all know, with Apple, it's like 256 gigs. It's not going to... Nope. Do anything for content creators. Nope, definitely not. Okay. So, yeah, limitations, I guess. All right. But, um, first, first place you go when you when you unlock your phone, it'll be Gmail. Okay. Yeah, check my email. See what's up. What's uh, one website you recommend to people often? All right. One of my go-to websites is DP Review. Nice. They, it's mainly focused on cameras. And they have a big community, so they have forums for every brand. Absolutely. I I love those guys. Whenever I'm researching a camera, I'm like, well, that's where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Or you can go to josebphotography.com. Nice. (laughs) There you go. Um, This this might be an easy answer, but you you might surprise me. Favorite piece of tech besides your phone and your iPad? My... Hmm, it's a tough choice between any any specific type of tech. Like, is it uh, yeah, wearables just favorite piece, yeah, whatever tech, yeah, general? favorite, yeah, favorite piece of tech besides those items. You know, I'm gonna have to go with my Fuji XH1. Okay, yeah, that uh, it's a uh, it's one of those. It's semi retro slash modern, bigger bigger hand grip, but it's an absolute beast. You know, uh, in body stabilization, it's. It's one of those purchases as like, I'm glad I made this purchase. Nice. Of course, you know, being a gamer, um, what was the last game you played? Last game I actually played was Madden 2019. Wow. I think that's the latest one because <laughs> every year they come out with one. Yep. But uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out, which I'm going to preload. Nice. And that comes out tomorrow. Nice. So and I that- can't wait for that one. So that answers your last gaming purchase, which is going to be <laughs> Red Dead Redemption oh, 2. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, of course, you know, we talk, we talk about toys here. Um, what's one of a favorite toy or collectible that you're obsessing over? I know you're a big Voltron fan. Yeah. That's but what, what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's on your radar, huh? Yeah. Voltron, you know, I have plenty of Voltron memorabilia because I grew up as a huge Voltron fan and, uh, the next series that I'm trying to get is I want Mumra from Thundercats. Right. And I want Skeletor and He-Man from He-Man. Nice. So those are the guys I'm looking for. Um, 
eventually I'll, I'll, I'll work on those. But, uh, you know, I even have the Lego set, the Voltron Lego set. It's still in the box. It's like, that's crazy. You know, You're going to build it? Find as much. I don't know, man. That's a, that's a lot of pieces, man. I saw yes. the box. I was like, wow. A lot is a big box too. So right now I, the box is so nice because it has like the cartoon lions, you know, the lions from the 84 cartoon and so right. I want to open it. <laughs> nice. So, now, now you are all, you're also a big Mezco collector, you and your son, right? Yes. You just got one today. <laughs> Who, who'd you pick up? For his birthday, he, he got one of the Spider-Man, I mean, uh, Batman. Okay. With the, uh, I forgot what, is, it, he has the long cowl, the long, uh, very long pointy ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I know exactly which so, one you're talking about. They've done different ones, and that's, I believe, the, the last one in the series. Well, he has the one with the gray, gray suit. Okay. The one with the black, the latest one that's coming out, is still on pre-order. So wow. we, we've waited like five months. We're still waiting for that one. Okay. But and he's very patient. Which is surprising for a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> of and course, he, he's he's like, all right, well, let's pre-order it, and I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, you've got you you picked up some nice ones, man. I know you had uh, some really dope predators, some predator figures you yeah. picked up. Yeah, yeah, he he has all of those on his glass display, and uh, right now he's more into the DC stuff. He's like a big DC fan, nice. so it's Spider-Man. Uh, well, Spider-Man, of course, is is um, Marvel, is Marvel, but. You know, as Batman, Joker, he's trying to get all the Justice League and, you know, and Spider-Man is like his his, his uh, go-to Marvel character. So, And you guys are only buying exclusively Mezco or are you messing with other brand stores? Mezco like your default? Mezco is uh, probably second to Mafex. All right, right. He'll, he'll buy he'll buy Mafex, SH Figure Arts. Uh, it all depends on the size because he's very particular about the size of the characters he wants. So if he wants, uh, I think what, uh, Mafex is like four inch or something. Yep. So if he wants to stick with that, he'll look at an SH figure art be- between that and Mafex. And then, of course, if he wants scale, he'll take um, uh, Mezco. Nice. Now, nice. um you know, on the subject of toys, growing up, what was your favorite toy or collectible growing up? Man, uh, growing up, unfortunately, I didn't have too many toys. You know, I guess right that's there why with I you. buy a lot. <laughs> so I guess that's why I'm always buying them now. But my cousins always, you know how we always had that family member that had uh-huh. all the toys. And we <laughs> go to their house just for that. <laughs> yep. So they had, I mean, if they had all their stuff they would be pretty well off. Uh, but they didn't have Star Wars. They weren't into Star Wars like I was. So I had this little metallic Millennium Falcon. It was made out of metal, and it was maybe about five inches. And I used to love that damn thing. Nice. Like, I, of course, being like eight years old, I would make believe it's flying and, you know, talk like Han Solo. And That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that was like my... Even I, I even look at Millennium Falcons now, but they're so big. Yep. That I don't want to get one until I have the space. So, but I'm, I'm, you know, like that's on the radar, like a Millennium Falcon. So nice. Yeah, I would have to say, as a kid, that was like my and, most memorable one. And it was diecast, right? Yes. Okay. Diecast. Very cool. <laughs> the stuff that should have killed us. <laughs> yeah. Like the Kabangers. Yeah, you're not, you're not kidding. Now, um, uh, one, one last question on this. And and this one's always interesting. What was the last thing you purchased 
that was less than a hundred dollars that has either made your life easier or just more enjoyable? Hmm. I would have to say, and I have it right here in front of me on my desk. It's uh, it's a light from a company called Lytra. Okay. Yep. And they make these LED lights and the cubes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's it has a magnetic strip. So not only do I use it for video when lighting up a subject, you know, that I could put right on top of the camera on the hot shoe. I've used it for work and I put it on the, the, the metal frames of the elevator and put it on full blast. And guys were like, wow, that little thing illuminates that much light. That's like, crazy. Yep. And then the big test was one day from the sixth floor. It fell all the way down the pit. Oh, no. I just had this damn thing for a week, and it was working. Uh, The the screen didn't crack, or the light didn't crack, and I got some scuffs. But if you ever held one in person, this thing is, like, beefy for such a small device. So at the time, it was 70-something dollars, and it's been, like, extremely versatile. Like, sometimes I'll just throw it in my bag or leave it in the car, like, Eventually, I want to buy a few more because it's really worth the price. Nice. All right. And waterproof. Oh, well, waterproof is key. Yep. All right. Yeah. Um, this this one's an easy one. And um, where do you see yourself with photography in a year? Or where would you like to see yourself a year from now? Well, I'd say because I've started with the website. I have a few business cards. So I'm borderline, you know, I've had a few. Got your toes in the pool. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm looking to maybe put Stan halfway into the pool by next year where I have a few paid gigs under my belt. Maybe develop a relationship with some people that might have their own business and maybe want some professional portrait shots. And I'll be that guy they would call. Okay. So that's where I'm kind of hoping I'd be. Instead of jumping straight into a full-blown business where I can't handle it. You want to freelance? Yes. So hopefully I can have a few established clients and then take it from there. Nice. All right. And last but not least, of course, where can people find your work and connect with you? You can find me on on iTunes, uh, The Post Game Report. Uh, That's my podcast since, uh, I believe, 2007. And... My website is josebphotography.com. I try to find something a little smaller. Uh, maybe I'll change it down the road. But for now, if you want to see a mixture of, of my work, I have, I have it broken down into different categories. So this way, if anyone's interested, they can see it. I have events. I have uh, street photography, uh, toys. So I try to keep it somewhat simple, but I have a lot of photos there. So. Uh, that's something else I also got to clean up, but it's there. If people are interested in my work, they can contact me via email. And on Twitter is uh, at ATJBB and Facebook. But uh, Facebook, I I keep that for family and friends yep. and some colleagues, stuff like that. So nice. mainly on uh, Instagram, I, I think it's Joe Beta. Uh, it's JV Beta. The fact okay. that I know that by memory is pretty crazy. <laughs> and I don't. That's the <laughs> yeah, JV so, Beta yeah, on, on that's, IG. That's, yeah, that's somewhere else that if you want to see my stuff. And on YouTube, is Joe Beta. Nice. All right. I uh, think. 
I, <laughs> I, I will I, I will definitely include links to everything JVB talked about in this episode as well as all the ways that you can reach him. Uh JVB, thank you for sharing the toys and tech of your trade. I be- I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. That wraps up our interview with Jose Betancourt, a.k.a. JVB. Links to his website and social media will be in the show notes for this episode. We will also be providing links to the software, hardware, and toys that were discussed on air. And just a quick disclaimer and for full transparency, those links in some cases may be affiliate links where we will receive a small commission if you purchase any of those items via the link we provide. That money goes towards giving us new equipment covering hosting fees and a host of other things that keep the lights on at RageWorks and allow us to give you awesome content. So anytime you do a purchase, please use the links we provide. We would really, really appreciate it. Last but not least, if you would like to be a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, fill out the contact form on RageWorks.net. Let us know a little bit about yourself and we'll try and set something up. And of course, if you want to keep up with us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. If you're a professional, we'd always love to hear from you. If you are following us on Facebook, take a moment, join our RageWorks Facebook group, interact with myself and the rest of the staff, as well as other RageWorks fans talking comics, MMA, wrestling, toys, and everything that we cover on air on our various shows and on the site. Thank you guys for checking out episode five of Toys and Tech of the Trade. I'll see you on the next one. Peace.
Some call it insight, others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective. A perspective you'll benefit from, from a custodian you can rely on. One who can help navigate the big picture and whose products give you a competitive edge. One who considers everything, what will help you succeed today and tomorrow. Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash RIA. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Some call it insight. Others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective. A perspective you'll benefit from. From a custodian you can rely on. One who can help navigate the big picture. And whose products give you a competitive edge. One who considers everything. What will help you succeed today and tomorrow. Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash RIA. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.